Ex-Millennial Man Podcast, the podcast for SteveSing.com. I am your host, R.D. Kulik, and with me here is the electric boogalooiness and the death wish makiness man that I know, and that's the greatest other host, Ty. How are you today, Ty? Hi, everybody. I'm doing good. It's funny you mentioned the topic for today, and I've heard you talk about it, and I've heard the people on How This Get Made talk about it. I've never seen a movie that this company has made before. Oh, gosh. Well, we're going to, we are going to fix that. Trust me. So, okay. We're talking about Canon Films, the Canon or otherwise known as the Canon Group. I'm going to give you a whole big history of it, but there's the thing that really strikes, the thing that makes this very ex millennial man or even part of the ex part of ex millennial man is the 1980s. There were a few movie studios. Not MGM, not Sony, not that, that really ruled. Caraclo is one. Orion is another one. Heard the, of that one. Yeah. I haven't heard of the first one. Caraclo, I think they did like Total Recall. They also did Terminator oh, okay. 2. I'm going to okay. do a separate podcast about them and Orion, which did Robocop was an Orion film. Mm-hmm. But there was Canon films. Canon films in the 1980s under the tutelage of Golem Globus or... I, I'll, I'll try to get yeah. their names right in the during the podcast, but they kind of defined this schlocky 1980s field of movies. Now, in honor of Canon Films, Ty, this podcast is going to be so big that we're going to do a second part because Sounds Canon good. it was was known for a lot of sequels, was known for making a lot of crap and then making it again and again and again and the, and again. And so, yep. this is going to be. A big topic, but I'm going to spend the first half here talking about the birth of Canon Films and kind of give people out there, like you said, how did this get made talks about it, is mm-hmm. an idea that Canon Films wasn't the schlock factory that we come to think of it as. There's honest-to-God Oscar winners in this uh, group of movies. So, Well, and sh- I'm sure there's other companies who have similar trajectories, but from what I, in the limited research I did, because I kind of want to be surprised by all this too is that this is not the greatest film production company or whatever and I, even when you told me the topic for today i thought you meant like marvel canon like no. this person is <laughs> this this person because of that i literally had no idea what this was and the first sentence i read which i'm sure you'll talk about here in a second made me think why is he trying to get me to do Skinamax type movies on this podcast today. So let's talk about the porno early days of Canon film. So uh, yep. a lot of us, I went back to the whole Golan Globus thing. A lot of us associate Canon films with Golan Globus, but they were not the ones that started. Canon films did not get birthed in 1982 with Chuck Norris and uh, in tow to, to make a bunch of crappy action movies. It actually can What's Golan Globus? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to explain. Those are two okay. those are two of the greatest film producers in history. That's what but okay. I, I will get to them. No, Canon actually started all the way back in 1967. And when we think of movie studios, so another reason I thought about this is I went to go see the new Indiana Jones movie the other day, which it's not terrible people. I I look, it's way better than the last one and they really do stick the landing in it, which I think is nice, but it is also... I heard they killed off Shia LaBeouf, also spoiler. <laughs> well, he's not in the movie. He died on his way back to his home planet. Eh, so. Exactly. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I saw someone the other day say that uh, Shia LaBeouf is the first person ever to be to have his character killed off between the fourth and fifth movies in two different franchises. Because I guess I never saw Transformers 5, but they said he died. Uh. 
anyways okay. but um yeah. no but i i remember the movie started and it had like uh lucasfilm disney paramount i mean all these different studios involved and for those of you that don't know indiana jones and the dial of destiny is the most expensive movie ever made it was well over 300 million dollars Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Uh, but I got to thinking about whatever happened to the old days where it was just Paramount or just this. Well, it was never just like that. It takes a uh. variety of, of people to bring movies to the forefront, and Canon was no different than anybody else. It was originally founded as a, a way to distribute international films into the United States. So a film from France would come out, and then can, the Canon group would buy its U.S. rights and distribute it into the U.S. And a lot of it was through the home video market, too, which was, in 1967, was non-existent, basically. Would it be in French, or would it be dubbed, or would it be subtitled? No, they wouldn't. It it would be those films. It would be, so if you wanted to go see your latest lowbrow French film or highbrow French film or whatever the hell it is, it'd be Canon Films that would be distributed into the United States. They would see the success with that. And so they bought a bunch of Swedish softcore, soft porn films. So basically, porn movies that didn't show you the full act, so to say. Skinamax, yes. as I said at the yes. top. Yeah. Like, that's crazy to me that I, I guess it was the six, late 60s, early 70s. So but why not, if you're going to search out for softcore Swedish porno, why not just get full-on hardcore porno? I don't, I don't get that. A lot of it might be just uh, a lot of states, especially at that time, it was banned. It still is in certain states. You can't Pornography show. is banned? It's, it's like you can't have pornography like theaters, things like that. Oh, so, okay. All right. So this was probably a way for them to get around that. And what they would do is they would bring those and they would dub those or they would remake them in English with English actors. Okay. So all right. they'd buy the rights to all these. And they started to think, OK, we want to be a, a bigger studio. We want to compete with everybody else. So there was a rule at Canon, though, where every movie had to be under three hundred thousand dollars. Obviously, action movies are out of the picture. Yeah. I, I Couldn't mean, make Indiana Jones today. No, real quick, Indiana. This new Indiana Jones costs more than the new Avatar. Oh yeah, to make yeah, really? Yes, three hundred costs more than Avengers Endgame. Yes, yes. I can't believe that. Like, <laughs> did you ever think that this movie you watched when you were a kid would be a new one would be made for three? Is it all the CGI they had to do for Harrison Ford's face? Yeah. So. Like I said, it's a two and a half hour long movie. And well, uh, Endgame is three and a half hours yeah, long. But two and a half hours, it's like two hours and 20 minutes of just pure action sequences. If I had okay. something to complain about this movie, it would be that the action sequences were too long. And okay. there was, especially, I just, a, I can't uh, believe Indiana Jones is the most expensive yeah. movie ever. Oh, yeah. No, he's, um, that's without marketing. So usually marketing, you add a couple, you know, millions more. But yeah, yeah. It's, it is the most expensive movie Sorry, ever made. I didn't mean to take no, a no, 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 no. That's just, okay. I'm still kind and, of flabbergasted. And look, there, Disney. If Indiana Jones doesn't make a billion dollars, which it will, but yeah, in we're talking about a global box office. If it doesn't make a billion dollars, Disney's got another movie coming out that will make a billion dollars. Uh, well, Pixar Elemental's out already too. So. Yeah, that didn't do too well though. That's I but think it's that's, getting good reviews. I no, want to no, see that. I took uh, my kids when I took my kids uh, to see Spider Verse movie. They, we all want to see Elemental. Yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, there's 
this is a totally different topic, but I got to yeah, indulge sorry, myself. I gotta, no, no, no. Yeah. I got to indulge. No, this will be good because it's going to fit in with the attitude of, of 1980s canon films. I know that the Fox Newses and the uh, dumbasses of the world, like the governor of Florida and stuff like that, like to celebrate when a Disney movie doesn't do well. But I often tell this to people very, very, very rarely. And we're going to get into this as we talk about canon films. Does a movie lose money? Okay. Yeah, it's it's near next to impossible. I feel yeah, like. and a movie like the Dial of Destiny, like I told this to my wife, Avatar Two is the the biggest movie that I know nobody who saw it. I haven't seen it. <laughs> so there's you think about it. There's a lot of people. And we went on the Fourth of July in the middle of the afternoon, and the theater was half full, and it was playing in like six different theaters. So it's going to make that money back. Disney can do that. Disney can Mm -hmm. say, fine, we're going to give you whatever you want. And look, with the the CGI and everything, with the de-aging, it still, it looks better in this movie than in any other movie ever. But you can tell his face isn't moving. It's still a little weird. It's still a little odd. I don't know the answer to that. But the rest of the movie, and I I don't want to give anything away, but there's the whole kind of plot of the movie and when the plot is executed one of the most impressive things i've seen on screen and you're talking about things that aren't real you know these are not real (laughs) things and you and they look real this is my call out to why we still need to go to the movies to see these in a movie theater because when it's on tv i'm gonna be yeah that's not real that doesn't look real uh i mean i am not only am i hell-bent on going to see oppenheimer I'm going to probably go see it in IMAX because that's the way. Braver man than I. <laughs> I like. I want to see that movie too, but that's long and it's going to be loud, and I get motion sick watching movies. Yeah, in IMAX. no, no, yeah, I, I get it, I get it. But and then having said that too, I will say before the Dial of Destiny, they convinced me to go see the Barbie movie. The I, I, I didn't need convincing. I want to see that. <laughs> I, I kind of did, but. It was an incredible preview. That's all I got to okay. say about that. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I mean, Greta Gerwig, Ryan Gosling, Margot Robbie. I'm in for that movie mm-hmm. for sure. So with this, uh, with Can getting back to Canon, they wanted to make, they wanted to be a serious, serious studio. So they were making some of these movies and they went out and got America's sweetheart, Peter Boyle, to be in a movie called Joe. I just watched Young Frankenstein for the first time a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Fantastic in that movie. <laughs> Peter Boyle was he was an actor. He's a you know well-known actor. Joe also has Susan Sarandon in it in her first movie role ever. But wow. this was in 1970. Uh John Avildsen directed it, who's the guy that direct, who went on to direct Rocky. Okay. The movie Joe, I remember I saw this all the way back in college. I took a film class and we watched this movie, and I probably didn't even know at the time that it was a canon film, but it's not or a canon group or whatever. But it was at the time in 1970, it was made for just over $100,000, and it made almost $10 million. Holy cow, that's quite a big payday for yes. those people. Yes, when you have movies that are this low budget, it's they're, they're talking movies. There's, again, not a lot of action, anything like that. But the interesting thing about Joe is so the first words that you hear out of Peter Boyle's mouth is a racial slur. And oh, he uses so it a lot. <laughs> okay. Why? What's this movie about? <laughs> so 
The second line of the move of Peter Boyles after he uses a racial slur is, "Why work when you can screw, make babies, and get paid for it?" Okay, he, is this a Swedish softcore no, movie? No, no. Peter Boyles, Joe, is this kind of working class guy who's who basically hates everybody that's not conservative and that is not white. And holy cow, yeah. And so, is this the governor of Florida's favorite movie? Of all that's time? A, so it's. But here's the thing: he's not a hero. This movie makes no, it clear he's not. not a hero. But okay, good. the interesting thing about Joe, though, is he witnesses a, a rich guy killing a drug dealer. He's got his uh, was dating his daughter and all this other stuff. And Joe decides, oh, you're a good guy. I agree with you. We're good. So the rich dude and Joe kind of get together. It, it's almost like falling down in a way. But it shows mm-hmm. this movie is about the rich guy taking advantage of the dumb white conservative. Again, 1970. Okay. So, yeah, they were ahead of their time. Yeah, it is. It's a movie of of our time more than it is of mm-hmm. their time. So, Imagine like somebody like Ari Aster making that today, or or just one of these like a twenty four provocateurs making a movie like that today. Yeah, and it was and Joe, like I said, there was a there was some violence in the movie. It was very kind of, but it's very kind of raw. And okay. it's even went on. The movie was nominated for an Academy Award for screenplay. So, you know, Cannon was playing with the bigger boys right now, so to say. Release some Swedish softcore and then release <laughs> a movie that gets nominated for Oscars. Mm-hmm. And so, Cannon, a lot of people wanted to be in the Cannon business, but they could never really replicate what they did with Joe. It just kind of sure. just kind of fell off and it, it just did not work for them. It seems like, and now he's. I think turning it around a little bit, but this feels a lot like M night Shyamalan with you come out with the sixth sense. It's like, Oh my God. And then what's the movie on the train with Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, um, what's that uh, one called? not glass. The other one unbreakable. No. Yeah. And I, I think unbreakable is good. I know it wasn't as highly, obviously as highly touted as sixth sense, but then after unbreakable, you kind of get the happening and the avatar movie that not the, avatar we're talking about the other avatar that, yeah but he made like he started off with this grand slam and then everything after that was strikeout 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 and but then now he's kind of turning it around it seems like canon films had the the home run and then everything else after that was just a strike this is where israel comes into the picture now man there's <laughs> countries galore with this film group menahamen menaham golan all right okay He's this, is a, one of the, this is one of the people, yes. right? Golan, whatever you said. Golan Globus, yeah. So he okay. he was uh, an Israeli film producer, writer, actor. He had uh, a lot of movies. He would write, direct, and produce. He had tons of films out there. He was pretty damn successful in Israel. A couple of his big movies that may be known as Tevia and His Seven Daughters, which was basically the non-musical version of Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. He, oh, Tevia. That's where I recognize that. Name yeah. From. He also he did like, like uh, Aladdin again, the non Disney version. Did a lot of movies for the Israeli audience, but he had dreams. Okay. Ty. He had big dreams that he was going to be a big time United States movie producer, and so he would always try to get movies into the U.S. market. Well, in 1980, he wrote, directed, and produced a movie called The Apple. In 1994, the world is controlled by one power. Hey, 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 
is success. There ain't no pride. There ain't no shame. There ain't no sympathy. There ain't no blame. There ain't no pleasure. Ain't the no apple pain. brings you everything. The apple is the temptation. The apple is the forbidden fruit. The apple takes your soul. Now, a special experience in movie-going entertainment. The apple. The apple. Okay, yes. so off mic, you told me about this, and I, you said you watched it again. Mm-hmm. My response was, I've never even heard of this. So. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of my history with the apple. Before Now, I guess people are like, what the hell are you talking about the apple? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so it was in some places, some people know it as Star Rock is what it's called. But still don't know what you're talking about. It's a it's 1980, like I said, the movie. It uh, imagines the world in 1994. It's a uh, okay. mu- it's a, a rock opera musical film, all original music, and it starts off with like kind of a Eurovision uh, contest. And Dope. you have this big band out there. They're part of the Boogaloo International Music Company. And they're singing this song about the BIM, B-I-M, and their leader is this Satan-looking dude named Mr. Boogaloo, and everybody's like all hyped on their music and everything like that. And then the next group comes out, and it's it's two people, B.B. and Alfie, and they sing this song about how the world needs love, and it's this like folk song, and... The BIM group is 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 frightened because people enjoy this song. Like it starts off at the beginning, all the guys are like, bring BIM back. And then all the girls are like, no, no, I like this song. And everybody gets involved with it. So the whole story of the movie is Mr. Boogaloo invites Alfie and BB up to a party. And they're all putting these little markers on their head to represent they're with the BIM. And Alfie's like, I'm not signing anything with you guys because you're evil. And BB's like, no, no, I want to I want to uh, have a great music career. So the whole thing is basically the apple. This is Adam and Eve. And Mr. Boogaloo okay. is the devil offering her the apple. Okay. It, it sounds a lot like A Mighty Wind. Yes. For guest movie with, <laughs> with different bands playing different types of music. And B.B. and Alfie seem like Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara from that movie. And the other band is the big Branson-esque band that Shane Lynch is in in that movie. So that that's the vibe I got off of this. Yeah. And it, the way you explained it. So by no means. What does it have to do with 1994, though? That's just, just it, it takes place world? in the future. Okay. Now, I remember when I was watching this and I was looking at the credits and it said score by George Clinton. And I'm like, holy crap. From really? Parliament? No. <laughs> it's oh, a different George Clinton. But I, but you, you'll see that a lot of times, though. People will say, oh, yeah, George Clinton was involved with the Apple. The Apple is also considered one of the worst films ever made. Okay. Really? Yeah. When you go, I'm surprised. There's probably somewhere in there. How did this get made if they haven't done it yet? The Apple. But so when I was in college, I was studying theater. And I remember we were talking about uh, in my directing class, we were talking about musicals or uh, theater that's based off of um, that's based off of biblical stories. And all the different things. So we had like Jesus Christ Superstar, which is a little bit more edgy. And then you have Godsend or Godspell, which is very, you could do that in Sunday school if you want. And I remember a professor said, none of you have probably heard of the Apple. Like, no. So he showed it to us. Nice. (laughs) It's a... it's a it's the type of movie, you know, it, like Southland Tales. It's a type of movie when you watch, okay. you will not get it out of your head. 
Okay, that's good. It's not good, but it is like it is it is like nothing you have ever seen. As you say, <laughs> South and Tales isn't technically a good movie, but it you're right. I watched that movie, it's almost three hours, and I watched that movie twice with I, I didn't budge from my seat when I watched Southland Tales. So I wonder if like you and you mentioned bad movie. The room is like a bad movie that I can watch and kind of check in and out know what's going on. I feel like with the Apple, it would keep my attention. And the Apple was not, like I said, people called it one of the worst movies ever. It's terrible. It's bad. Like I said, all the original songs, nobody in this movie except for BB, who her voice was dubbed over for singing anyways. None of them are, are good singers. It's sure. I mean, it was something different and it kind of made people know who, who, uh, which one was he? Was he Golan or Golan? Golan, yeah, Golan. Yeah, he said Golan. It made them know who Menahem Golan was. Now, the movie was also produced by his cousin Yoram Globus. Okay, so they had a group called the Golan Globus Group that they were trying to get movies and produce them in the United States. Well, they noticed there was this little U.S. company called Canon, which was struggling mightily. It was it was losing money hand over fist, and so they're like, you know what? Maybe the best thing to do instead of inventing our own studio is to go buy a studio. So they went wow. and they purchased, and I think it was 1979. They purchased Canon Films. For five hundred thousand dollars, that's I, they wouldn't make a movie for over three hundred thousand. <laughs> Didn't they make ten million on this Joe movie? Yeah, they just and burned through it all. How do you burn through it when you're not making a movie for under for over three hundred thousand dollars and you make ten million? I don't math is not my strongest subject, but a hundred thousand dollars to make Joe, you made ten million dollars on it. That's a <laughs> humongous profit. Yes, it is. I think. So how do you not? I think like the equivalent today would be the movie would have made like close to thirty million dollars, which would oh my make God. it a fairly successful movie. And to make it hugely <laughs> successful, man. They buy the Canning Group and they decide we're going to make movies. How are how are we going to make movies, and what are we going to do? They would bring some of, again, their movies. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but they probably produced or they probably distributed the Apple through Canon. They really wanted to get involved in these movies. But again, you go back to you go back to Golan. He he's used to making these kind of crowd pleasing movies and things like mm-hmm. that. And you're looking at the time in the 1980s, and one of the big, big movies that had come out was First Blood, which, and this wasn't a canon film, but First Blood is the first Rambo movie. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you've ever seen First Blood. I've seen parts of it. I know the whole deal that he's a Vietnam vet who comes and he helps a village of people. I I know the story of John Rambo. I'm sure I've seen it. I just don't recall every beat that comes from the movie. First Blood is very different than any other Rambo movie. Yeah. It is. First Blood is more like quiet, like John Wisk, Wick is what people have yes. said. Yeah, I think in the, the legend or whatever, but Golan and Globus were like, for, no one make First Blood great if it was a hell of a lot more violent. So <laughs> what they decided... It's already to, pretty violent. I mean. <laughs> so what they decided to do is one of the very first things is they bought up the rights to the movie Death Wish. The Charles Bronson film. Okay. Charles Bronson. That makes me think of Bronson, Missouri. Yep. From The Simpsons. Yep. They bought the rights to Death Wish, and they immediately put in production a sequel, Death Wish, to, uh, Death Wish 2. And they got Charles Bronson back. And Death Wish is a very, um, almost like a Dirty Harry movie. Again, this is the 1970s. This idea that there's rampant crime on the street. I mean, Taxi Driver deals with this, all this stuff. 
Yeah. And this guy was vigilante justice. Charles Bronson's character, I don't know if his name's Death Wish or what. But yeah, who knows? So basically what Golan and Globus learned from Death Wish wasn't the plot of the movie or about a, 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 like a, a critique of American uh, urban America or something like that. Yeah. They looked at it and saw, here's a dude just gunning down people. And so Death Wish 2, which is also considered one of the worst movies ever made. But canon... Golan and Globus, they wanted to put they wanted to put that money up on screen. They eight million dollars it cost them to make Death Wish, and they get, bring cow. Charles Bronson, like I said, back who was uh, probably fifty at the time. The movie made yeah. forty million dollars, was a huge hit, and it was so five times its budget. <laughs> yeah, five times its budget, mm-hmm. and such a big deal that they made Death Wish three and Death Wish four. Oh my God! So they made. Death Wish. Why don't they just call the next one Death Wishes or something like that? Like, I don't get the whole... And Charles Bronson is such a unique actor where, like, you picture his voice and everything. But these Death Wish movies, again, I've never seen them. But they sound just on the, like, gray area of being a snuff movie. Hello, all. This is RD. I wanted to talk to you guys about another podcast that I do work on called High Heels and Politics. It's hosted by Marianne Christie, who I work with here in Southwest Ohio. And Marianne, she interviews a lot of influential people. In Ohio, she's interviewed uh, a lot of political people that are influential. But for those of you outside of this state, she's also interviewed people like Susie Chapstick Chaffee, a former Olympic skier who was the face of Chapstick for the 1970s and 1980s. It's really interesting to listen to that one because she talks about her struggles as a woman in the Olympics, but then how she used her celebrity and her attractiveness in order to get more rights for amateur athletes, which led us today to things like the NIL. Also, Susie was very instrumental in Title IX, which we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of. But it's not all just seriousness. Uh, Marianne has also interviewed the Naked Cowboy, the New York City icon that's been out there. Simon Lease, who a lot of you may know if you've ever seen The People vs. Larry Flint, he was the guy that arrested Larry Flint. He also arrested Jerry Springer when Jerry Springer was a member of the Cincinnati City Council here. So I encourage you guys go to Spotify, Google, Apple, go search High Heels in Politics, follow, subscribe the show. Marianne comes out with a new one every week, and it's an incredibly great conversation. And if you're interested or know anybody that may be on High Heels in Politics, just go to the contact page and talk to us. So let's get back to the conversation. Okay, Ty, so I actually forgot to say this. Globus is still alive, but uh, Golan, he passed away a few years ago. He passed away at the age of 85, but he was working his entire career. And when I talk in the, when I talk later about Canon, I'll talk about when they lost control or sold it themselves. But Golan, he was working all the way up to his last produced movie was a movie he wrote in 2009 called Ove, My Son is Gay. Oh boy. And that, uh, I'm sure that's problematic. No, here's the thing. I go back as and as I talk about how forward-thinking Golan and Globus were, it's actually about a Jewish man who comes out to his parents and they come it's all about his parents like accepting him, but oh. his mother's really mad because their son's boyfriend's not Jewish and that's what makes her mad. Oh. It's so it's a Okay, I'm I'm wrong <laughs> without knowing what it is. So that's my fault. No, I apologize. That's what I say. I gotta I gotta give him a little bit of credit. I have never seen Ove, my son is oh. gay, so I can't never speak. heard of it until right now. <laughs> I can't so. speak to any of that stuff, but 
back to Death Wish and Charles Bronson. Mm -hmm. So Golan and Globus decided this was going to be their path forward. They were going to make these these kind of violent action B-movies. What they would do is, talking about the writers that are on strike right now, Mm -hmm. back in the old days, you used to be able to create like what they'd call spec scripts. You'd Usually, famously, Shane Black made his career off his spec script for Lethal Weapon. And it was literally like one paragraph, and they bought it right then and there. And they were like, you know, we're in business with you. Now, Shane Black is a legendary writer, which, um, you know he's in Predator, right? No, I didn't know he's in Predator. Yes, he's one of the guys, one of the Marines that gets killed early on. But I, no I got to say, one of my favorite things about the movie Predator is if you haven't seen it in a while or people listening, if you haven't, just go watch the end of the movie and okay. watch watch through the first part of the credits because, spoiler alert for a 40-year-old movie here. I was going to say, it's as old <laughs> as I am. Dude. But at the end, when the Predator blows himself up and Arnold Schwarzenegger, it, it's all kind of solemn. He's the only one left. The whole area's mm-hmm. been nuked. And you see the helicopter coming to pick him up, and he just he's just been through hell and everything like that. And then they cut to the credits. And the funniest thing about the Predator credits is it says, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it shows him, like, doing something, he turns around and smiles, and then it's, like, Carl Weathers, and he smiles, and you see Shane Black, and they're smiling. It's the weirdest thing ever. It's, like, somebody compared it to uh, Hill Street Blues, the TV show Hill Street Blues, that the the opening credits, that's a very serious show. The opening credits is everybody looking to the camera, stopping and smiling. It's just strange. Have you ever seen the end credits to the live-action Beauty and the Beast movie? No. Okay, so my wife loves all things Disney, and she loves that live-action one. The end credits of that, it's like somebody took an acid trip because they'll have the character that the person portrayed in the Beast-like fantasy world, but then the actual actor, like like Ewan McGregor, is a teacup, and they'll have the teacup, and it'll like morph into Ewan McGregor, and much as you pointed out, he kind of turns to camera and smiles. <laughs> it's creepy as hell. <laughs> so weird. Absolutely bonkers. What Golan and Globus did is they would go find these spec scripts and they would find the cheapest ones, like the the writers you've never heard of. Maybe they had written on the TV show and they got their WGA card and they're they're just trying to make scripts. So Golan and Globus would find the what they called bottom barrel scripts and then they would put them into production. The reason why we all know Chuck Norris before Canon Films before. Chuck Norris was in one of um one of Bruce Lee's movies, I know. But Oh, he was? I didn't know. Yeah. That. But he, Chuck Norris was a karate guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. They found this karate guy who had a little acting experience and they made a movie in 1984 called Missing in Action. Vietnam, 1984. Chuck Norris is James Brad. Decorated war hero. Ex-prisoner of war. An American on a mission. One man who couldn't forget the Americans that were left behind. We categorically deny that there are any living MIAs in Vietnam. Wrong answer. James Braddock has returned. uncover the truth and free the soldiers we're going home missing in action damn right james braddock declares war 
the war isn't over until the last man comes home. America had no more heroes. Until now, Chuck Norris, missing in action. Never heard of it. Oh, man. So missing. I don't watch Chuck Norris. I, again, you mentioned Bruce Lee, who I watched all the time because I liked his movies. I didn't know yet. Chuck Norris was like the lowest version of Bruce Lee you could have. Missing in action is basically First Blood Part 2, Rambo. It is okay. It is almost a direct ripoff of it. Chuck Norris plays Colonel James Braddock, and he escaped a Vietnamese prisoner war camp, and he goes back to Vietnam 10 years later to go find people that are missing in action. Okay. It was a bad movie, dumb sure. movie, all this other stuff, but it made a ton of money. <laughs> so I, that's what I wanted to say. Like you're talking about this stuff and, you know, they decided that Gallen and Globus decided to go in this B movie action, hyper violent world. That was these, these seem like smart business people when they made the decision to do what they did. Mm -hmm. And think of all the midnight movie runs that these movies could have or have had as far as my not like this was, you know, we're dogging on it and making fun of all these movies. This was smart business decisions by these people. Because every time you say, I haven't heard you say, this movie lost money. This movie, every movie's made money. Mm -hmm. So that's a smart business decision by that. So a few things about this. First off, this movie was made for about one and a half million dollars and it made over 50 million. And wow. So yeah, they're. Yep. The missing action, like I said, they came and they grabbed these spec scripts from basically the, uh, the bottom of the barrel. And so yeah. this was a, a film treatment that they bought that was written by James Cameron. Wow. But it was written by James Cameron specifically for Rambo First Blood Part 2. Okay. So they would grab this treatment, they would then put it into production, and they would rush production because they, everybody knew the next Rambo movie was coming out, and so they wanted missing an action out before. Basically, First Blood Part 2 was going to be a huge movie, but this allowed yeah. Golan and Globus to to skirt the copyright violation laws uh, to basically sure. stop yeah. them from getting sued. Now you see this quite a bit in that you'll see movies of similar plot lines that come out in the same year. Famously, there was uh, deep impact and Armageddon two movies, uh, one about a comet hitting the earth and the other about a, an asteroid hitting the earth this yep. year alone. There are two Dracula movies. There was the Renfield oh, yeah, one. Renfield. Yeah, with uh, Nick Cage playing Dracula. And then there is uh, the final voyage of the Demeter, which is uh, the Demeter is the ship that brought Dracula to, to England. Okay. So you'll so you'll see this happen quite a bit. It's not. Yeah. That's why people are like, why didn't they get sued or whatever? It's people will grab these scripts, rush them in production. And you'll see similar movies coming out. So what I'm hearing from you, too, is that without Canon Films and Gallon and Globus is that we would never have James Cameron. So that means no, 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 that's what I mean. He no was no, <laughs> they gave him his shot. They, yeah. They gave him his, well, his foot in the door. he James Cameron worked with Roger Corman famously, okay. and he also worked with uh, uh, John Carpenter. He'd probably written this treatment years before. Or sure. or it could have been something that he was already in the business and somebody asked him, hey, do you have an idea for a second Rambo movie? And that's okay. that's where they would find it. Now, I'm just trying to give yeah. Canon films more credit. No, no, so. you probably are. But <laughs> hey, and look, it's 
missing it. I mean, the Rambo movies have become a joke, but missing in action mm-hmm. is a low grade Rambo movie. And totally. Chuck Norris is an like. absolutely low grade Sylvester Stallone. Hundred percent. Yep. Now going back to Canon giving people their first uh first uh, this was probably his first American movie role, but there was a uncredited soldier. Uh uncredited in the in the he d- didn't have a credit in the cast or whatever, but a soldier that was with uh, Chuck Norris or whatever, and that soldier was played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. There you go. See? <laughs> so, the door. He's, no blood sport without canon films. Yes. It's funny you say that. That's going to be in part two, but Bloodsport is oh, a okay. canon films movie. Oh, dope. All right. <laughs> so, I didn't know that. Missing in action. Not only could uh, Golan and Globus make these movies really cheap, is they would and then push them out there, and then they'd make a lot of money, so they could go make another one, go make another one. Again, missing in action, I think had like three sequels. So okay. um, of course it did. Why? Why not? But they also understood the home video market really well. So the movies yeah. would come out, and then a couple months later, the home video would come out, and then or it'd go to HBO or something like that. And me and my idiot friends would sit around and watch Missing in Action and be like, well, "Oh, this say, is I crazy." I could see our dad picking up one of these movies. You're like, yeah, I'm going to watch Death Wish 4. I saw the first three, so <laughs> yeah. why not put that past our dad? And Canon would produce a lot of these movies, all right? They would, every year, they would just put so many out. Roger Ebert famously said that Canon Films, regardless of what you think of their movies, they're probably the hardest working studio in the world. Sure. And they yeah. would, weirdly too, they would always premiere these movies at the Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> that's awesome i lo- I love the call and the yeah i'm gonna release this b movie at can why not like along with missing in action they also brought about the ninja craze of the 1980s they yeah. made the movie enter the ninja then revenge of the ninja then there's american ninja ninja mm-hmm. three the dominion american ninja two the confrontation they really would lean into the stuff and those I have ninja to imagine movies, I've seen well I have yeah. to imagine I've seen some of those too because as I said in the 90s when I was like a preteen I was obsessed with Bruce Lee so I'm sure I saw some oh yeah of those movies. yeah and they're again these are bad movies but if you're mm-hmm. sitting around as a as a teenager or preteen in the mid 1980s HBO one o'clock and a revenge of the ninjas on I'm gonna sit there and watch some ninja action I mean absolutely that's especially I, growing up in St. Louis, where sometimes it's too damn hot to go outside. I mean, I've said this a lot on this podcast, but the last live action G.I. Joe movie, the Snake Eyes movie, my only problem with it is it says G.I. Joe. So I have yeah. a an understanding or of who these characters are that I don't think the movie or the people that made the movie were able to buy into. But if it was like a canon films American Ninja Three or whatever, it would have kicked ass. It would have been absolutely I mean, that's what this was. And they, yep. they would also, to continue their kind of ripoff thing after Indiana Jones, speaking of Indiana Jones, was kind mm-hmm. of a big deal. They put into production a movie called King Solomon's Minds, which uh, okay. uh, Richard Chamberlain, I think he played Alan Quartermain or something like that was the name. It was just a Richard Chamberlain was just a, even though he's a very famous actor, but a lower grade Harrison Ford. This was sure. a lower grade Indiana Jones. A lot of people yep. talk about romancing the stone being kind of like an Indiana Jones movie, but it's really not. It's pretty different. This is a direct ripoff. King Solomon's okay. Minds is a direct ripoff. Now, it's based off of a novel, but still, they put it out to be their version of Indiana Jones. Their B grade Indiana Jones. Movie. Yeah. yeah, like this stuff happens all the time. And it 
made a bunch of money. It's got an 8% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but it made a lot of money. Again, I think this is a whole instance, too, of like, Canon Films didn't care what the ratings were going to say as long as they were making money. You know what this reminds me of is the people who are making the horror slasher films that are like Winnie the Pooh and the one you told me about Christmas time about the Grinch, but they couldn't say the Grinch. That's exact. And these are movies that I was never going to see and didn't plan on it, but it's in the public domain so they can do it. So I, again, I have no problem with Canon Films doing it. They had a a sequel to it. Also, King Solomon's Minds is one of the first movies, big movies with Sharon Stone in it. So okay. it's uh, they had a sequel years later called uh, Alan Quartermain in the Lost City of Gold, which had Richard Chamberlain and Sharon Stone in it. They were try in 2011. Golan, who again was near the end of his life, was trying to sell a movie. Alan Quartermain in the Jewel of the East was working on it, but passed away probably before it ever went anywhere so they were they were going i mean they stayed in their little respective eras so to say it's like roger ebert said they may not make the best movies but they're working hard but it wasn't just action movies obviously you're in the hollywood business you can make your low-grade action movies make a lot of money but golan and globus they were filmmakers they were artists Mm -hmm. this is what they believed in they would uh, try to branch out into other films. They made famously Breaking, a movie about breakdancing. And then a couple of years later, nobody's ever seen this movie, but everybody knows its name. Yep. Breaking to Electric Boogaloo. I was just going to say, I've never seen those, but I know they're about breakdancing and they have done. I know for sure Breaking 2 on how did this get made? I'm, I'm going to save some of the the bigger some of their more genre bigger films for the second <laughs> half of this podcast but sure i'm gonna end here on what they their comedy movies and this is well that's what Gold. i was gonna lead into also is that listening to you talk about this and knowing the little very little bit that i knew about it one of my favorite movies probably my second favorite movie of all time behind big lebowski is napoleon dynamite napoleon dynamite feels like it would have been a canon movie yes. if it had come out in the 80s and like that is the exact vibe when you started explaining everything to me is that it, because, you know, I was thinking it's all action slasher movies. But now you're saying that they've done other ones. Napoleon Dynamite has that vibe like Jerusha, Jared and Jerusha Hess would have been big time writers for Canon. Oh, film, absolutely. Like. Absolutely. Canon would they would uh, make a, a few movies or release a few movies uh, kind of uh, not. I wouldn't even call them soft porn movies. Porny in a way, but they're trying to be artistic. Uh, One of their most famous ones is Lady Chatterley's Lover, which is based off of a famous D.H. Lawrence novel. Again, it was kind of low grade. It was low grade porn. And uh, it would show on Cinemax or Showtime later at night. It had some nudity and some bodies grinding up against each other. But it wasn't that successful of a film for him. But it did not. It did not stop. (laughs) It did not stop. Golan and Globus from trying to reach that. And here's where maybe the tragedy in the whole situation is, is you could tell they're trying to make prestige movies. They're trying to Mm -hmm. make uh, big, important movies. So they like black Swan esque movies. Yes. So that have that erotic feel to it. Yes. The actress, Bo Derek, who's really big in the early eighties, her husband, John Derek wrote, uh, wrote and directed the movie Bolero with her starring in it. What was the thing in Seinfeld? The woman's erotic awakenings across oh, yeah. Europe? Uh, 
uh, Rochelle Rochelle. Yes. Rochelle Rochelle. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. basically what this was. It was all about okay. Bo Derek's sexual awakening and the and going through the world to find the the man that's going to take her virginity. How much money would you wager that Larry <laughs> David and Jerry Seinfeld watched this I, when they wrote the whole Rochelle Rochelle thing? I guarantee you. Again, they're trying to go for that Oscar. Mm. Well. This was the response, okay? The movie barely made a profit. It just right above what it sold for. Roger Ebert gave the film zero and a half out of four stars. Got a half star. (laughs) And it says here, the real future of Boleros in home cassette rentals where your fast forward and instant replay controls will will supply the editing job this movie so desperately needs. Okay, so he's saying fast forward to the nudity Mm -hmm. and pause or whatever. Okay, yeah. it was nominated for nine Golden Raspberry Awards. Okay, I was going to say that. <laughs> when you said Golden, I thought you were going to say Globes. I was like, damn, the Golden Globes <laughs> no. really hand out nominations. No, it uh, it actually came in second as the worst picture of the decade at the Razzie Awards for the worst picture of the 1980s. It lost out to Mommy Dearest. I've never seen that yeah. either, but I know Mommy Dearest. Well, and I mean, they took a swing. They did. And they missed. But I want to end this with a comedy movie that they came out with, which was in yeah. the kind of the same genre, let's say, with their little softcore porny movies. And mm-hmm. again, talking about a movie like how how Joe or Death Wish or any of these movies could represent the era we live in today. And that movie's The Last American Virgin. And now let's all get serious. <laughs> American Virgin, featuring songs by Blondie, The Cars, Devo, Journey, The Police, Ario Speedwagon, Tommy Tuto, and more. The Last American Virgin. See it or be it. Have you ever heard heard of this movie? Never heard of it. It's got, just based on the title, I get uh, like Porky's vibes from it. Yeah. So Diane Franklin. Do you know the actress Diane Franklin? You do know her, but uh, you might not know her name. I'd have to like Google her or something. Yeah, so she's the uh, the French girl in Better Off Dead. Oh yeah, of course I know who she is. Yeah, yeah. and she played one of the princess. Yeah, she's and she, not really French in that. Movie. No, no, no. <laughs> she played one of the princesses in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah, yeah, she. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. No, no, exactly. And then know. basically has no career outside. I mean, she has nope. a career, but nobody knows her outside of any of those. So she was so good in Better Off Dead, even uh-huh. though that French accent was horrible. <laughs> she was so good in that movie. I think the That's second a movie you and I have to talk about on a separate. Podcast. Oh yeah. <laughs> rips that movie is awesome <laughs> that movie was supposed to be a drama about like teen suicide. i know you told me that and i couldn't believe it and then be on basic cable and i'll watch it and i'll be like man john cusack's awesome his neighbor who blows up his mom's face hilarious some of the fun and <laughs> savage steve or whatever his name is the guy who directed that movie mm-hmm. oh we'll talk about his whole his whole film oeuvre and he also was a awesome. big time director on uh, even stevens yeah uh, that's how i know who he mm-hmm. is so the last American version, just the name itself, is basically is here's a here's a teen sex comedy, and I go back to Golan and Globe is just kind of ripping everything off. So they saw Porky's one night, and they're like, "We're gonna make that." Yep. What's weird about this particular movie is, so it's about. Let me talk about what it's about. It's about these three friends who who want to lose their virginity, and it's about their trials and tribulations, and they go to a prostitute, and they. 
do this and they do that. But there's this one girl. Pie vibes, dude. Yes. There's this yeah. one girl that Diane Franklin uh, plays who one of the guys, the one of the three dudes is kind of smitten with. But yeah. she's not really into him or anything like that. Just he's a friend, friend zoning him, let's say. Mm-hmm. So he's the ducky in this movie. Yeah. It sounds like. And it's you go back and there's like parts of this movie where they're all like talking about who has bigger stuff like mine's bigger than yours. Mine's bigger than yours. And so they measure it. They all get out oh, together wow. and measure it. And it's uh, it's but the movie, everything I'm saying, the movie is weirdly has kind of a nice heart to it. OK, that's. American Pie is problematic and mm-hmm. Porky's is problematic. So I wonder if I would like this this one, okay, if I would enjoy it. I'm going to spoil part of it, or no, spoil, but fine. it's, you know, it's important to talk about like how weirdly, how, how weird almost that Golan Globe has had something. But again, they even you go see the poster for it and it's all the characters and they're inside like jeans that are unzipping. I mean, they really push the oh, sex part forward. But this movie was yeah. better than it, its name or reputation deserves. So one of the the kind of jockey or the the dude who's um, more of a popular guy of the three mm-hmm. of them, he ends up sleeping with Diane Franklin's character and gets her pregnant. And then he basically abandons her. Oh. So, yeah. He, oh, my goodness. He basically abandons her. So kind of the main character, the dude that's really smitten with her, he takes Diane Franklin to the doctor to get an abortion. And oh, wow. he stays with her to like kind of help her psychologically and physically get back to normal. And they share like a little kiss. And he's like, oh, my God, this is it. I've gotten everything I want. I got the love of my life. And he's going to go. There's like a party they're going to. And he's going to go and he's he gets her gift. and He's going to profess his love to her and say, you know, I want to be with you. And when he goes to the party, he sees Diane Franklin making out with the dude that got her pregnant. Oh, my God. And man. you see him just like you see his face. The, the guy, his name's Lawrence Monason, who played him. You see his mm. face just absolutely shattering. And she even looks at him for a moment, has kind of this like sorry look in her eyes, but is still there with the dude. And the movie ends uh. with the main character getting in his car, driving home, and the camera just focusing on his face as tears come down. And that's the way the movie Whoa. ends. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Man, this sounds so much better than American Pie. <laughs> yeah, I'm I mean, way in on this movie. It is so. That is, when did this come out in the 80s? Yeah, yeah, it came out in uh, 80, 1982. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's impressed. I'm impressed, dude. You've I started this record today thinking I was going to make fun of this company, and I I think it's pretty rad what they do, man. Oh, trust me. There's more to make fun of it, because, Ty, sure. that is the end of part one. And I'm going to tell you in part two, just as a sneak preview, we're going to talk about Superman, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Bloodsport, oh, Life right. Force. We're going to talk about Sylvester Stallone cutting up a piece of pizza with scissors. It's uh, okay. it's it's quite the um, the fall of Golan Globus and Canon Films, uh, Masters of the Universe. I can't forget about that. Oh yeah, the fall is spectacular. I mean, you want to talk about a story of uh, go go attitude and a story of just mm-hmm. absolute hubris? But that's going to be part two of our okay. history of Canon Films. But I wanted to end on the Last American Virgin because look, it's a Canon film. It's low grade. Diane mm-hmm. Franklin's probably the biggest name in that movie. <laughs> I'm sure. And it's got nudity in it and all this other stuff. But the third act of that movie 
showed you that I, I go that these guys were artists. They were. They were trying to make something real. And you go back and you look back on a movie like The Last American Virgin today, it, it's better than its reputation. Yeah, it's very poignant, it sounds like. Like, I want to watch this movie now. All right, Ty. Well, if people need to find you to, I don't know, what are they going to do to get your view on the urban decay and drugs and all that stuff, where are they yeah. going to find you? Of course, please. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram, Ty Kulik, T-Y-K-U-L-I-K, all lowercase. More importantly, come read my stuff on Seedsing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. I got a piece going up later today about Max and why are they canceling so many shows. So check that out, Seedsing. S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. You can hear me on the Chucklehead Chat Podcast. I've been on a couple episodes, and I'm actually conversing with Glenn right now to do a possible another record. So you can find Chucklehead Chat wherever you listen to podcasts. But listen to me on this podcast. Most importantly, listen to me on this podcast, the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast. Rate, review us, tell your friends about us, check out our Patreon, and as always, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, we repeat all that, SeedSing.com. I did forget to say that in typical canon films that the last American virgin was based off of a old Swedish movie. So they, you know, obviously scraping the barrel, they could, of course, but the other thing I wanted to say too, is I didn't talk about this when we talked about movie soundtracks, but you go and look at the movie soundtrack for that. And it is early eighties, just post punk. I mean, Tommy two tone, the police Devo Oingo Boingo, the cars, U uh, two early early U two oh, on there, yeah. so it is quite the soundtrack. But anyways, uh, I invite you all because, like I said, when we think of canon films, you guys just said I just spent an hour with you two jabronis, and you never <laughs> talked about the movies I know. Well, we're talking about those next week. That's right. <laughs> I wanted to give you the make you remember movies like Joe and The Last American Virgin that have been lost to time. So this is the appetizer to the big meal. <laughs> yes. With all that being said, we thank you for years. Anything else that you may use to listen to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. Remember, we are here every Saturday for free, wherever you find your fine podcasting shows. And Ty, enjoy your your heat dome or whatever the hell you guys are under right now. Oh, will do. Stay fresh, cheese bags. The Ex-Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.